Hey everybody, welcome to the Faith Church Podcast. I am your host, Jay Williams, and joining me today is Robbie Helene. Very... Hello, Jay, and all of our listeners. Hey. What, what did I interrupt you as I was trying to Well, greet? no, I was going to say a very close Robbie Helene, because oh. we are sitting even closer than we normally do. Are we? Yes. Am I making well, you uncomfortable? Because your, your mic stand doesn't work, and so it can only hold the microphone if it's at a particular angle, which means I have to sit on the stool. Which means I'm higher than I normally am. I just, I just love whatever our listeners are imagining right now. Like you're like, like lurching away over from my face. shoulder, I'm inches away from. <laughs> I'm just like sitting here. We're on just, opposite sides of a desk. We're still a comfortable distance from one another. But I'm sorry that my comfort. presence makes you so uneasy. Your comfort. <laughs> my comfort. My comfort. Yeah. Whatever. Made it a little weird. Just a little weird. Whatever. Let's just get this over with. So speaking of a little weird, my son loves going into restaurant bathrooms because restaurant bathrooms have pictures on the wall what? of things, right? Like if you go into like Costco bathroom, you know, there's, no, there's nothing on the wall. They're not really thinking about decorating, but restaurants often have pictures on the wall and my son is delighted by all of them. One in particular we walked into and it had a painting of Darth Vader sitting on the toilet reading a newspaper, which was... Which was almost too much delight for my son to handle all at once. But a couple of days ago, we're 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 in one. <laughs> we're sitting in the stall, and uh, <clears throat> and I'm just I'm waiting for him to you know go go about his business. And he's just looking around, and he sees there's this, the painting on the wall, in the stall right right next to him, a huge portrait. And he says, "What's that, Daddy? That's a painting, buddy. Is that a bear?" Nobody. That's Willie Nelson. <laughs> I did. I did not see that coming. Such a great little Willie Nelson. Is <laughs> that a bear? Yes. Yeah, I, mean, Nelson. I mean, his beard was in his full full glory, yeah. and it was kind of a you know monochromatic, <laughs> but still, still pretty great. Could you see the bear? Like once once he said that. I mean, could you? You know, it's like looking at a looking at a cloud. That's okay. and and yeah, you're like, okay, right. I kind of see how that's a bunny. I've been in the restrooms where they have like the puns, like the pun wallpaper. Hmm. Ever? I don't yeah. know that I've seen that one. Oh yeah. There's uh, a restaurant in Texas that uh, the men's room, the whole inside was all like chalkboard paint, and they would they would cover all of the all the walls. Only staff was had access to the chalk, and they would cover the walls uh, in Chuck Norris facts, like satirical uh, chuck norris facts right. like yeah i.e when chuck norris does a push-up he doesn't push up but he pushes the earth down you know things of things that like nature. that so eg that would have been there yeah eg eg yeah not ie did i say ie mm-hmm. oh that really bothers me mm-hmm. you're welcome uh, you fix that in post too nuts. we should <laughs> people have no idea how delightful that was that i just corrected uh, robbie's grammar i hate that because so that much. is never a thing robbie is a master of words and was, i am a master of none it's definitely and an uh so i that was so delightful to be able to point that out anyway You're welcome anyway we should talk about the sermon and that's a much better this. idea where uh eg <laughs> the Acts 14, or IE, there, there I'd say IE. That is actually IE, IE yeah. IE, Acts 14. That doesn't really work as much in conversation oh, as gosh. it does. Everyone has stopped yeah. listening at this they point. They tuned out at least six minutes and, ago, and we've only been recording for five minutes. Hey, everybody. Oh, man. All right. 
So Acts 14, uh, we talked about Paul's, uh, you had put obstacles uh, to mission, which is, so you you did this outline, which one of the fun things through this was, so if people don't realize, Robbie outlined Acts. When we decided we wanted to preach through Max, Max, whoa, three, two. When Robbie wanted to preach through Acts, wow. When we decided to preach through the book of Acts, Robbie said, I'll take a shot at outlining it. And then you did, and you did a great job. And then you Thank sent you, it Jay. to us to review, and we did not review it. And so now every time something comes up and you say, wait, why did I do this way? And and I was like, and I say, yeah, why did you do it this way? And it becomes a thing because if only, if only other pastors had looked over the outline critically, I just trust you. <laughs> I feel there's your first mistake. There's my first mistake. So, um, so in this one, you had obstacles to mission. So I don't think I preached the sermon that you originally in had finger in your mind. quotes. Hmm. Obstacles. obstacles. Oh, to mission. Of, you see what instead of see? opportunities, what, what the devil means as obstacles, God means as opportunities. Yeah. So you did. You you had I you did. had a a very motivational uh, quote. In the sermon, wait. Are you saying I'm not normally motivating? It's probably. Is that what that said? I, uh, well, I mean, you pointed it out. Quippy. As a, what I did. did. You, I did so you say self helpy. I said yeah, yeah the most self help pastory thing I would ever yeah. I've I've ever said. Yeah, like so. So I tend to not love the seven happy hops to better marriage or things like, especially in a sermon. You know, I think there's there's places for that, but I um, tend to not. Uh, turn cutesy phrases or anything like that or or things that seem kind of fluffy you're and not generally known for your cutesiness i'm not generally yes in all the ways i'm not but i think but this i was looking at it and saying when i kept looking at this was saying well these are obstacles but they're actually they actually become opportunities and they actually serve they actually serve the mission that they look like they would be an obstacle too so um, so for example, you would think that Paul being stoned and beaten to within an inch of his life to where the point where they assume that he is dead, you would think that would be an obstacle to the mission. And yet he goes back into the city. He goes back around to the same place that he was stoned at to encourage yeah. and strengthen the churches. And you have to wonder, and this is something I did not get to say in the sermon, was how encouraging. Can you imagine how encouraging that is as a church to see this man who was stoned almost to death and then he comes back yeah. to encourage you and to, to build you up? Like that, that probably did more to solidify their faith than, than anything else, than certainly than his worldly flourishing in the moment. Right. Like if he'd been heralded as this great teacher as he walks out of the city and then he comes back to visit to encourage people, like, well, that's that's nice. Well, sure, I'd want to come back too. Right. But like to come back, his, his love for the church and his conviction over um, the truth of the gospel was so, so profound and was made even more profound and more clear by the fact that he had suffered the stoning. And so that's yeah. what I meant by it looks like an obstacle, 
but it's actually this platform, this opportunity. And I think that that happens a lot to us in our lives. Things, the things that we think are keeping us from God or that are making our lives, making it harder to worship God are actually the things that are uh, facilitating a deeper worship of God. The things that we think are obstacles to sharing the gospel actually are opportunities and are serving to make our testimony all the more powerful. Which is why multiple writers in scripture write things like consider it pure joy when you encounter various trials because the testing of your faith is producing these things in you. Mm -hmm. They they saw that as, uh, you know, we saw earlier in Acts that when, when the apostles are beaten and commanded not to preach anymore, they they leave the Sanhedrin dancing for joy that they were allowed to have the privilege of suffering like Jesus. Like they they, not that they sought it out intentionally. Like we're gonna we're gonna provoke them so that they'll make us suffer, but they were simply walking in obedience and and then saw that as as a blessing as an opportunity. And so like you gotta wonder if, if Paul like gets up, brushes the brushes the gravel off of his tunic and goes, All right, that I got you know, thank you, Jesus, I got to experience some of the suffering that you experience and, and then walks right back in. And I think it's such a good point of what a blessing that would be to the to that church because certainly it is reasonable for them to think like, well obviously he's not coming back in here. Like if he's even alive, he's certainly not gonna come back here and then to see him walk back in again to encourage them. How loved do you feel when when that is someone's response, when they have every rational reason to to leave and instead they stay in order to 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 encourage them in that way and then and then he goes on to the next town and you know that story is following him, right? As he goes on to the next city, to the next church, you know that 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 that, that story follows him in ministry of man, this is this is the guy who gets back up after being murdered and walks back in to encourage the believers. Like that's, that's incredible. And, and it's one of those things that you obviously don't ever wish for yourself or for anyone else, but, but God just works in such a unique way through those kind of obstacles, those kind of, those things that we see as the things that prevent him from working are, are so often both in scripture and in the lives of the saints, like the ways that he does his most extraordinary work. We see him most evidently in that. So another thing, another thing that I left out was in the sermon had to do with the slander and then the praises of men. So those first two are kind of combined a little bit. Like these are these two ditches that you can fall into. We talked about how people will slander and create um, confusion about the message, but then also about the messenger and try to to discredit the messenger. Um, but then there's this other side of where they are also praised by men and, and what a temptation and obstacle, um, that is. And, and in that, I, I mentioned how some of us, for some people, it's tempting to kind of live for the praises of men because we like the, the credit and we like, we like people to think well of us. But the flip side of that, um, which kind of goes hand in hand with those that I kind of left out was that, um, there's another danger and that is when we when we kind of thrive off of the conflict. And so we actually find our identity in um, disagreeing with people and with fighting quote unquote, kind of fighting the good fight. And, um, and so some people I I did, 
I kind of left that out because I felt like the first point landed and for time, I just, you know, let's just go on. But I do think there's a very real way where, and you see this right now in our culture where people gather a following by painting themselves as the one everybody is against. Like that they're the ones standing for truth. They're the ones standing, you know, against all these voices. They are the only ones who are um, communicating truth. And, and that's a, that's a really tough, like that's another temptation in that. And something that I think we have to be mindful of that we, that we don't, that either one of those is kind of focusing on the praises of men or the conflict of men. Like I either, I'm either encouraged by the fact everyone thinks I'm the best or I'm encouraged by the fact that everyone thinks I'm the worst. And so then I kind of have this lone ranger or this one man kind of mentality. Or if not, I mean, usually I don't really want everyone to think I'm the worst. I just want right, this right. particular pocket of people to think I'm the worst so that this other pocket of people will think I'm the best. Like I get to, I, I, I go out and pick the fight and then play the victim that everyone keeps taking a swing at me. Right. And, and then within a certain group, I know I'm going to get a lot of affirmation and encouragement from that group. I think that's really important. And I, I for what it's worth, I affirm, uh, like the podcast is a perfect time to, to unpack that a little bit. So um, great discernment on Sunday morning, and I'm glad you brought it up now because this is a great a great context to unpack that a little bit. So how do you, um, like how how like it's one thing if someone is literally dragging you out of town and throwing rocks at you until you're dead, like you could pretty much ascertain who's the victim in that situation. Right. When, but it's tricky when, when you are kind of picking that fight and then, and then playing the victim for, uh, for people pushing back on you. How, how do you know if like, does that person know that they're that person or if not, like, how do you figure that out? Or is this, is this such a, um, like, would you see this as, as as a minority position? Like, this is the position of like certain bloggers or authors or whatever. Or do you think this is something that that we all need to be on guard of? Well, I think your your point that either way, you're still you want to be seen as great by someone. Yeah, and and there are different ways of doing that. You can either do it by doing positive things for the people you want to be seen as great, or by picking a fight with the people that, that, that they, that they see as the enemy, um, and, and painting yourself as the victim. So I think, I think it's everywhere. I mean, I think, I just think those are personality types. I think we have to be careful that like the, the root of both of those issues is that again, I'm at the center and I'm, it's about me and it's about how, um, people view me or don't view me. It's not about Christ and it's tempting. Like, you know, we talked about how, People, you know, have said things about us and about the church that are that are just untrue or whatever. And it's tempting to to want to like point to that all the time or to say to to kind of fortify what our position is with with our people. Um, But then that makes it not about Jesus. And and so on one hand, it is important to say some of those things some of the time. Paul reveals conflicts that he has in different times, but he's very quick to take the focus off of him. So when he does say, yeah. hey, I had this disagreement with this person or we had this falling out or or um, anything like that, it's, it's back to making Christ as central to the conversation. It's not just about him. He's not saying like, poor me, this person is now, these, these guys are, are 
kind of trying to discredit me. He's he's saying he's he's kind of upholding the gospel as primary, and this conflict just serves to kind of yeah. illustrate the difference between the gospel he's preaching and the gospel other people yes. are preaching. Yeah, so the concern is not ultimately these people are being mean to me. The no. concern is the way like the way these people are treating me is evidence of the fact that they are believing or preaching or practicing something that is distorting the gospel. It it, it always came back to his care for the people that he's writing to and that they would understand the true gospel and so that, that that that's interesting i haven't i haven't thought of it in that uh in that way i'm gonna i want to i want to dig into that a little bit more see does does paul ever just say this stinks and i don't like being treated this way i feel like he does <laughs> no i don't think he does <laughs> he he sees it all as opportunities he sees it all yeah. as you know you, you look in um in philippians where he's saying look this this was this my imprisonment has served to advance the gospel like don't be discouraged yeah. by my by my chains. Don't be embarrassed of them. Don't be discouraged by them. These these have served to advance the gospel, and and that mindset of and and ultimately I think this is how you overcome obstacles. Like a, a, a major way you overcome obstacles to mission or obstacles to the advancement of the gospel is to realize that there aren't any adva- obstacles mm-hmm. to the advancement of the gospel in in the sense of what other forces can bring right like so as circumstances like i can i can rejoice and give thanks in all circumstances i can worship god in all circumstances for there to be a true obstacle a, a, a um a circumstance that is inherently an obstacle would mean that it's an it's a circumstance through which i could not proclaim the goodness and glory of god yeah. that yeah. would be a true obstacle like if i say um you know, I have an obstacle to being the greatest quarterback in the history of the NFL. Well, that obstacle is I can't throw and I'm not fast and I'm weak and I'm old. I have a lot of obstacles that make it impossible for that to happen. Um, But if we say obstacles to mission or obstacles to the, the declaration of the gospel, there aren't any, there's nothing that fits that definition that you'd say, oh man, this will keep us from being able to declare and demonstrate the glory of God. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah. Am I, I being mean, too semantic there, there might be, no, I don't think so because I think you're drawing an important distinction between mission and methods. Like there may be obstacles yes. to certain methods to preaching the gospel or establishing you know, a church in a certain area or whatever. Like, so if I, I, that there may be direct obstacles to that, but that is not the same thing as saying there's an obstacle to the proclamation of the gospel and, and seeing people redeemed it just might mean it's, I'm going to have to go about that by a different means than, than I thought I was going to. Yeah. And there may be harder roads. Yeah, for sure. There are, there are roads. You mentioned that several weeks ago that God often advances the mission through blessing and also, and through persecution. And we would choose blessing. Like persecution is, is the, on the surface, the harder way to go. You certainly can make the argument through scripture that it's that through blessing is actually the harder way to stay faithful because you end up putting your hope in those blessings and finding your confidence in those blessings and crediting those blessings. Whereas when, when, the gospel is proclaimed through suffering. Nobody is, uh, or it's much, it's much different to like 
credit the suffering. Like no one's going to, very few people, there have been people throughout church history, but very few people, especially in our cultural context, would see um, someone's suffering and see how they were able to share the gospel through it. And then they try to duplicate that method. Nobody, nobody duplicates that method, but we try to duplicate the blessing methods. Like we try to duplicate, um, you know, if you see somebody who has a great impact on kingdom work through the money they've made, Hmm. then we look at that and say, Oh, well then I need to make a lot of money and then I could have an impact like that. And so now my attention turns to making money and hoping that someday I'll be missional. But, Nobody looks at somebody who says and says, man, they I'm really encouraged by their faith. And I see how they're able to share the gospel through the fact that they have nothing. Well, therefore, I'm going to give up everything again throughout history. Yes, there have definitely been people who have looked at that and tried to mimic that and say, oh, the way to be faithful then is to sell everything and to take a vow of poverty. That just doesn't happen very much in our culture today. No, here. No, that would be un- unusual. And if it does, we don't see that as something that we aspire to. Typically, right? right. No, and we like that. We can we can be super encouraged by those stories, but it isn't necessarily something that most of us are going to go. Therefore, I'm going to sell all that I have and take just my tunic and my walking stick and go <laughs> preach the gospel from town to town. First, you'd have to Google what tunic is. So. <laughs> So which do you think? Let me let me ask you a question. I'm going to turn the tables on you. Turn this desk that we're sitting very closely next to each other. Um, what, Which one of those three do you think in our culture, either personally or in our culture, um, the slandering of the, the message, the slandering of the messenger, the praises of men, or, so there's four, I guess, in that because I'm separating slandering um, into the two different ones and then um or physical suffering and hardship like which one do you see as being like did any of those strike you as oh man i see i see that a lot man do i see one of those as more predominant than the other i mean i I feel like i feel like what happened as you're walking through those is i'm thinking of examples from each context um like those are like nobody nobody to my knowledge is being worshipped accidentally as a deity um, no so but the idea of like receiving affirmation for your accomplishment for for being elevated to a position of like unique authority or influence because of the books that you write or the size of your church or those like those sort of things. Like there is absolutely an, an or elevation. Even the nice thing that you do for your name. Uh, yeah, exactly. Right. All the way down to, Oh, you're the nice guy. You're the generous woman. You're the, like you're, you're known, you're elevated as this thing. And, and like that is on one hand, awesome. Like if God has given you a large platform to preach, then preach faithfully. If God is, has cultivated your heart in such a way that you are a generous woman, then by all means be a generous woman. When that, when that though becomes the identity, then that becomes the thing that we are working toward and trying to protect. And when that gets attacked, that's when I lose it. So it's not that we need to guard ourselves from it becoming about like Jesus. And because of Jesus, he is cultivating this thing in me. And so my natural outpouring is then generosity versus my identity becomes, well, I'm the generous person. And so 
then I start making decisions around how do I maintain that identity as the generous person or as the kind person or the person who always shows up to help and, and, or the person who writes the impactful books, you know, on that, on that high level. And and then that becomes the identity that I'm working to protect, which is going to lead to very different decisions than I am a son or daughter of Christ and I'm simply delighting in that and the fact that he's making me look more like Jesus and whatever he puts in front of me, I'm going to try to walk in faithfully. Right. And I think, I think that is key, the whatever he puts in front of me. So if somebody's sitting there listening, if they listen to the sermon or they're listening to this and they're thinking, well, but if you're thinking about Matthew five, like let your light shine before others so they may see your good works and glorify your father in heaven. So there's a way in which we are supposed to, that our good works are supposed to be on display. And then there's a way in which we are not supposed to display our good works. And that can feel like a paradox. It could be like, well, um, I, well, which one was it supposed to be? Am I supposed to give in secret or am I supposed to display like my giving so that people glorify my father in heaven? And I think one way to deal with that is to, be so Christ focused that you're not worried about whether people know that it's happening or not. Because I've seen, I can make the argument that it's still the same trap. If you go to ridiculous lengths to make sure that nobody knows what you did. Right. I I think either one of those, whether you go to great lengths to make sure everybody knows the good work that you did, or you go to great lengths to make sure what you did is hidden. Those are both ways in which you're, you're making it about you. Yeah. And I think the, the faithful thing is to just say, I'm doing this for Christ. I'm not, I'm not worried if I'm, if somebody knows I did this or somebody doesn't know. Right. Um, because, because I'm just going to be faithful here in the moment that God uses some of those. He uses it in different ways and you just need to be faithful to that and trust him in that and not worry about it. That's so sneaky though. Like the, we we, we can see it in others, right? So you can see it in, in like the hyper minimalist who says, you know, life is not about how much stuff you own. And so I, my goal is to own as little as possible and you end up like accidentally being just as obsessed about stuff as everybody else. But the difference is, no, it's not, you know, my life is not defined by how much stuff I own. My life is defined by how much stuff I own, which is very little. Right. And yours is very much. And you're like, you're still completely defining yourself by how much stuff you own. Right. It's, It's sneaky. So I think the tricky part is how do I discern if I am trying to keep my good works secret for that biblical reason, for that, the, the sermon on the Mount reason, uh, of its actual humility, or am I keeping it secret as just another, uh, another form of being fixated on my own works? Yeah, I think, so one of the things, I mean, this is, it's an important thing to consider because our good works are meant to point people to Jesus. They're meant to see yeah. our transformed lives. Um, but we are to be so fixated on Christ. So I think one way that you know is, is do I see the reward I get from the Spirit as far better than the reward I get from anyone mm. anyone else? Yeah. 
So if I'm so fixated on that reward that I'm feeling my God, my father's good pleasure in my faithfulness in the moment that, um, if I do something for somebody that is an act of faith, um, and, and desiring, believing that the rewards that are given to me by Christ are better to believe that, that his way is better to be following him and abiding in him. I'm so focused on him that I'm not even really paying, I'm not paying attention to whether yeah. anybody notices. And frankly, I don't care because whatever I could get from them is so small compared to what Christ gives me. So it would be, you know, I don't, I don't care um, I don't, I don't do something nice for my wife so that other people will think I'm a good husband. Mm. I don't like, I might give my wife a hug in private. I give her a hug in public and it, either way, my can, what I'm fixated on is expressing affection to my wife, yeah. not whether somebody else sees it. Now, if somebody sees that and says, oh, I want to have a marriage like that, or I want to, I I see that and and they're encouraged by that. Great. If God uses that in that way, that's fine. But that's not, that's not why I would do it and I wouldn't avoid it. You know, there's, we just get in this weirdness about doing these things. And I think the freedom comes in knowing that everything I do from what seems like very small things to very big things, they're all done um, in service of the kingdom and, and the king and for his pleasure, like we, we enjoy that. We just love doing our father's will. And we love just like, we're, we're so fixated on that. Man, I think, I think that enjoyment piece is so important that, that we delight right. in doing that, that we don't, you know, if you're the person who knows that your neighbor is struggling financially, and so you put an anonymous envelope of cash in their mailbox, like if you walk as you're walking away from that mailbox, if you're thinking, "God, that better count for something," because I didn't tell anybody that I'm doing it, like, right? That's that is broken. But to walk away from that and feel like joy and delight that you got to do that, like that's that's like actually a good thing. Like it shouldn't be done in begrudging submission. Like we should delight in. Like, Jesus, I know you saw that. Like, this is so cool. Like, thank you for blessing me so that I could be a blessing to this person. And I don't care if they ever know that it was me. Like, thank you that, that you allowed me to participate in this. Like, we should we should find joy in that. There should be excitement. There should be delight in that obedience because we know, uh, what does he say? Because your father who sees you in secret, you know, he sees you. He, he sees that happen and that we would see that affirmation as as more joyful, more satisfying than, than getting credit for it. And I think, man, I was just thinking about that, that sometimes though, sometimes God will tell you to do something and you are supposed to, there's, they're supposed to know. Yeah. You know, I, I absolutely, I've used the example before, but back when, after Lauren and I got married, our very first Valentine's day as a married couple, we had zero dollars and zero cents. Like we had nothing. We were, you know, barely making it. It's not very much. It's, it's, you know, it's less than ideal, but I had no money. And I remember thinking, this is horrible. This is my first Valentine's day with my wife. And I have, I have no money to do anything. And, um, and many people can relate to that. I mean, most people, when they're starting out, you know, newly married, you, you have very little. And, uh, and, 
you know, the next day when just I was praying and just saying, God, I just would like to do something for my wife for Valentine's Day. And the next day, um, someone from our church, um, this is when we lived in California, and someone from our church came up to me and said, God told me to give this to you. I want you to take your wife out for Valentine's Day and gave me a check. And I... So awesome. I, I you sit there now. If yeah. if they had just like snuck money, I still I think I would have um, worshipped God for it. But yeah. there was the specificity, yes, yeah, of them saying, basically, this is from God. I want you to use this to yes. do this thing that you were asking Him for yes. last night, and there's that made it even more beautiful. So that's why I think we shouldn't obsess over making sure like it's not this black and white thing where it's always done in secret or it's never, you know, like you take a meal to someone. Sometimes part of that gift to them is knowing that you took the time to make the meal, not because you're so great, but because God cared for them in that way. And it, it's encouraging to them. And other times you leave groceries. We've had groceries just left on our doorstep and you're like, well, you know, God, thank you for taking care of me in this way. I don't know who these are from. And then other times where, um, we already do know. So I just, I think the freedom is to just obey your father and find your joy in that. Yes. You know, when people say, for example, if you think of things, there are things that you probably enjoy doing that you, you don't need to get anything else from it because you just so enjoy doing that thing. Like people say, well, I love this so much. I I'd do it for free. Like if you really love your job, you might say that. Um, I don't think it'd be true though. You'd probably need to get paid by somebody else for something else. But, <laughs> but you, what you're expressing is I so enjoy this thing that I don't even need the paycheck. And then yeah. we also, we all also have had experiences where you're like, I absolutely would not do this unless I got paid to do this. Absolutely. And, um, and so I, I look at the payment kind of like the praises of men. Like there, if, if you're just doing this thing and you're saying this is not worth it, unless people know about it, unless I get that kind of affirmation from people, then it's not done in faith, you know, like serving God and doing things, um, and, and seeing the advancement of the gospel and seeing, um, just working in people's lives, the joy, the reward is from God. And if you don't want that, if that's not enough for you, then, um, ironically, the praises of men will also never be enough. Correct. Because it was never, that's not meant to satisfy you. That would be like working a job. If you work, I mean, many people have expressed this. If you work a job for a paycheck, the paycheck will never be enough. There are probably exceptions to that somewhere. But even professional athletes who make millions of dollars a year will say when they lose their love for what they're doing, the money's not enough. You can't be paid enough to do something that you just hate and and find joy in it. I think that's the point. Right. Like you can suffer through things, but if you're going to actually, where it's satisfying, I think that's my point. Yeah. Like if you if you hate your job, the money for it is not satisfying. Yeah, it's it's something that kind of eases the pain, or it feels like it's something you just have to do to survive. That's a very different life. That is not abundant life, right? Like abundant no. life is something completely different, where you feel s- satisfied by you know, the reward that you're getting, it's worth it. And if, and that reward is Christ. And if Christ is worth it, if that reward that he's offering you is your pursuit and is your desire and is worth it. Well, then all those acts of faithfulness are joyful. Hmm. Hmm. That's good. It's really good. You think so? I think so. Or is it just confusing? (laughs) 
Well, I can't speak for everyone, but yeah, I well, I, I brought those things up because I think it's hard. I think a lot of people who are Christ followers find it very difficult how to deal with compliments. Yes, and deal with praises, like like when people praise you, we think it's I mean, wrong to say thank you. That's right. encouraging, right? And we make it really awkward for everybody. And and all I would say is in that. You know, or we get really awkward in making sure, like, don't let anybody know this was me. And sometimes I'll say, well, I know it was you. So now, right. now, now you've made it weird. <laughs> you've made it weird. And, uh, um, and so then you go around and you tell everybody, like, <laughs> I gave this to them, but don't tell them because I, <laughs> I I'm like, oh, you're kind of defeating the whole, right. yeah. the, the purpose. Yeah, sound of the um, trumpet. But there is a way to just say thank you, but then to turn it, uh, back, back to Christ, which yeah. again, is the point of is all these the things. the point, right. The point like, is so that they will give glory to our Father in heaven. So if if that is your goal, that they would feel loved by and cared for by our Heavenly Father, then at the end of the day, whether or not they know it was you or don't, or don't know that it was you is irrelevant. Like the, the goal is that they, it, it is leading to them, it is promoting them, encouraging them uh, to to celebrate the the gift giver as in like the one who gave it to me so that I could give it to them versus celebrating me. Like God is the one who gave me the gift to then pass on to you. Um, and, and that, when that is the motivation, then we can, we can both delight in this exchange. I think, I think the idea that this, that simple idea that it's not about you. Yeah. And the, the more we can remind ourselves of that, it's just, this isn't about me. That is That's so right. helpful in every circumstance, whether you're getting bad service at a restaurant or you're treated poorly at work or someone cuts you off on the highway or, you know, someone's late. Like, it's not about you. It It is in every situation you are placed in, you have an opportunity to demonstrate faith um, and to put your trust in Jesus in what seem like really small ways. Like you are stuck in a long grocery line and you have somewhere else to be. That is an opportunity to display faith in Christ that will bear the fruit of patience and joy while you're standing in line. And then those are opportunities when somebody standing in line is all agitated and they say to you, how are you so calm? That gives, that opens a door to give a reason for the hope that is in you. And I just think we miss out on so many of those opportunities because we buy into the idea that these are all obstacles. Hmm. And so that goes full circle back to my whole, that, that, that very self-helpy way of saying that, that what the enemy means as obstacles, God means as opportunities. And to, to understand that, that there's no circumstance I cannot worship Christ in and, and to turn it back to him, you know, so when someone's slandering the message, I want to turn it back to Christ. Like, I don't want to quibble over these other like side issues or, or situations. I want to turn it back to Christ when someone slanders the messenger, you know, and, and wants to say, well, I don't believe in Christianity because of Christians or I've been treated poorly by Christians um, to turn it back to Christ and say, well, it's not about them. It's not about you. It's, it's about him and it's about Jesus. And and so I, that I hope is is an encouragement with all of these all of these things, whether we're suffering um, physical hardship or slander or um, or e- dealing with the temptation of falling into the praises of men, um, remembering that it's about Christ and that He is He is worth it, 
and finding our joy in in serving him because of the rewards we get from him are are worth it. They're better. They're treasure. I mean, it's treasure hidden in a field. It is worth suffering the loss of all things. It is. Um, it makes all the suffering of today feel temporary, uh, and and you know just just very limited because of compared to the weight of eternal glory. Like all of these things that just are constantly pointing us to this idea that it is about Jesus and Jesus is worth it. Hmm. Well, and we need we need one another to help us process these things because sometimes uh, sometimes I need someone to point out to me. Are you sure you're you're serving in that way for? The right reason with the white with the right heart and and sometimes i need someone to encourage me and say man that thing that you're doing is really awesome and it's and it's pointing people to christ and i need to know how to receive that compliment and that encouragement to to, to move forward and further obedience and and some of you might be listening to this and you're thinking you guys just don't understand like this this is not an opportunity this is this is an an objective obstacle and and i don't know how to get around it you just need help processing that we would love to help uh, help you process that so if we can help in any way if we can serve you in any way or if you just need someone to be praying with and for you please reach out at connect at or grab one of us on a Sunday morning and in the meantime grace and peace to you